Hi everybody, Win Claybaugh here. Welcome to this issue of Masters. Sometimes when I do Masters interviews, I've known the person for five minutes, or at least face to face. Today is not that. <laughs> Today I have the honor and the privilege to be sitting with somebody who I consider a very dear friend. Although we met through business, we became fast friends mostly because of the respect that I have for this woman and, and the love that we have for each other. When I go to her town, I stay in her home. I know her family. I know her husband, who she calls her boyfriend, which we'll get into that. So it's really, really a pleasure for me to be sitting here with the amazing Tina Black. Tina, <laughs> welcome to Masters. Thank you, Wynn. It, this honestly is such a blessing. You have no idea to be here with you and to be able to share my heart with everybody. And I just, I can't even believe that I'm here. It's been a dream of mine since I started listening to Masters and I'm obsessed with Masters. Well, I think more than most people I know, you devour these interviews as I did long before Masters. Masters have been around for over 20 years. This was the journey that I had. I never went to college, but I devoured uh, motivational tapes. Maybe back then it was eight tracks. I don't know. Or I remember <laughs> once you know, when somebody said, you know, when you need to listen to this and they gave me a cassette tape of Ed Foreman. I could tell you exactly who it was. I could probably repeat his whole seminar word for word because I wore out that tape. And I didn't even know that motivational tapes or speakers existed. I had no idea. Here, Win, listen to this. I'm like, why? You need this, Win. And thank God that that person did that for me, you know, almost 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I, I totally see the value in, in listening to these mm-hmm. types of interviews and, and messages, and I know that you do as well. Yeah, that's what you did for me. I mean, I listened to your cassette of Masters in the beginning. You sent me an entire bunch back in the day when I first got into Paul Mitchell schools. Well, <laughs> I've been listening to them nonstop, and, and you taught me that, and that's the basis of my book. You know, the first chapter is Stock Visionaries, you know, and so that's what you do. Yeah. <laughs> Right. So we'll get into that. But yeah, they've changed my life, you know, and I realize that this really is 85% of success in any business, you know, listening to people and their stories and learning from them, especially their failures. I used to sit in audiences where entrepreneurs and successful people would say, you need to be reading one book every week. I'm like, oh, I'm screwed because <laughs> I haven't read a book in 20 years. I'm not a reader, but this uh-huh. totally works for me. Totally works. Yeah, it works for most people in this industry because that's what they'd rather do. They'd rather listen to something or watch something. You know, YouTube videos have taken off massively as well for learning. Well, I don't have time for that. (laughs) To sit in front of my computer is already brutal enough just getting through email, but I... In my car, absolutely. Mm-hmm. This is how I spend a lot of people at the gym. This is they put on their headset, and yeah. and this is what they're listening to. So thanks for being such yeah. a a wonderful supporter of masters and of this type of a message that we need to be listening to the voices of our heroes and our mentors mm-hmm. on a regular basis. So yeah. a little bit about Tina. She's a, a multiple school owner. You have three schools. You're a, a salon owner. You just mentioned that you're writing a book. Can you believe those words are coming out of your out of no. your mouth? I'm writing a book. No, no. And trust me, this has been a long process. It's been about four years writing this book. And it was only because the students across the nation that I would speak to or different groups, and they would say, by the way, is this information in a book? And I'm like, no, I'm not going to write a book. So, no, it's been a long process, but it's coming out this year. You know, a lot of people say that they feel that they have a book in them, but it's few people that actually take that leap 
and write it down. And I think everybody yeah. should write. Everybody's got a story. Everybody Absolutely. has a story. And the best yeah. teachers are storytellers. Everybody should write down their story, even if it's just a family history mm-hmm. uh, for their children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren to be able to read you know, 100 years from now. Of, yeah. Oh, this is who grandma was. So yeah. this is what grandma Agreed. thought, what she believed. And, and I love that history. Yeah, I 100% agree with you, When Everyone has a book on them. You have value to add to everybody. There's greatness within every single person. So just start writing, and that's what I did. I just started to write. Well, we'll talk about your book here in a little bit, but uh, I kind of want to talk first about your failures. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you love that? There's a lot of those. I have no problem sharing those. Well, you know what? I, I remember uh, um, talking with my good friend Ruth Roach, who has won Naha North American Hairdressing Awards, I don't know how many times, and her work is just beautiful. It's just incredible, both on stage and, and in the studio, her photography work, and she's brilliant. She's brilliant. Mm-hmm. But I remember her telling me that her first photo shoot was in the back of a Chinese restaurant in Santa Barbara, California, and I'm like, really, can I see those photos? And she's like, no, you can't. <laughs> And, and what's funny is that people think that, or they assume that her first photo shoot came out Naha worthy, that, of course, she's going to win. And no, she didn't win. And it was how many failures, if you want to call it that, how many tries, how many times did she have to put herself into that position, the expense of it, the, the risk of it and the vulnerability of it. Yeah. To, to put yourself out there knowing this may not work. This may not get noticed. This may be very expensive. And I'm sure you had. So talk about your first salon. (laughs) You know, it's funny you said about Ruth Roach, actually. Because honestly, people don't want to hear how great you are. They want to hear how much you suck. You know, you relate to them. You connect so much quicker. And so three years ago, after I became a John Maxwell coach, and he said, you know, share your weaknesses, share your failures with people. Why did he tell you to do that? Yeah, he said First of all, who's John Maxwell? I I know who he is. Tell our listeners, who is John Maxwell? John Maxwell is the number one leadership expert in the world. He's written more leadership books than any other author in the world. And he started this John Maxwell team to start giving back with his legacy that he has and to start to really develop, you know, mini Maxwell's, if you will, to spread the message, you know, of leadership. So you went through so, a training. It's not like yeah, you, uh, you, it's not like you went online and filled no. out your name and paid no. 50 bucks and they made you a John Maxwell coach, you no, know, I've which said, is how I became a, not a preacher, but somebody to affiliate uh, an ordained minister. I'm an ordained minister so that I can marry people, yeah. and that took five dollars online. But yes, and there are a lot of programs like that with the speaking and there the are. coaching certification. There are, yeah, you're now certified yeah. to be yeah. a, a life coach. Yeah, no, because <laughs> yeah. maybe fifty bucks. Okay, so what, what was scary. the training process? Yeah, the training process. You go out. Um, you spend. It's a ninety day um, pre training before the three day certification. You have to get up and speak in front of people and, and go through this process and then you go through hundreds of hours of certification online where you have to fill out and take these you know quizzes and tests on the John Maxwell Leadership University and so once you feel confident at that point and you want to start your own business which I've just used it as part of my business you know so kind of you know going back to when he said if you want to be a transformational leader you have to share your weaknesses you have to become transparent and vulnerable 
And, you know, that actually hit home when I went with the team in Guatemala, which I'll share that story as well. But that really hit home with me to share my weaknesses and my failures because for years I did not share my failure of my salon years ago. Why, why, fact, why wouldn't you have I was embarrassed. I was ashamed. I was embarrassed. I wanted to blame everybody. I was in excuse mode. I wanted to blame my whole team for walking out on me. I wanted to blame everybody but myself for the failure of the salon and I finally looked in the mirror and I said to myself it's my fault it's my fault the reason why that business failed and I ended up having to you know shut that down in 2006 I lost $90,000 plus you oh, that's know it? Well, yeah. that's, that's, yeah, that's, 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 that's you know in the, in the world of salons <laughs> that's not a huge uh... yeah you know and I've heard the same stories but it's funny how so many salon owners won't come out and share how much they lost. Oh yeah, I'm doing great. You know, and when only 5%, I think this, the statistics are 5% of salons are making money. And so I knew at that point in time, you know, just being in the salon business for all these years that I had to start sharing my story. I had to start sharing what I did wrong so that people wouldn't repeat those same mistakes. And more importantly, when I really wanted to open up the door so people would feel comfortable sharing that they're doing something wrong too. And that really set the really the the stage for starting these mastermind groups, which I know we'll talk about those as well. We'll, we'll talk about the, the, the failure, the salon failure. Why did it fail? Oh my gosh! Well, bottom line is I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't I didn't prep myself to understand business. You know, until I met you, when I didn't even understand a P and L. You know, and you would say to us, you know, school owners, hey, you need to understand your P and Ls. You need if you don't understand it, talk to your accountant, have them train you, and you know, light bulb went on and I didn't understand the accounting I didn't understand anything about the business at all and also you're a licensed to, hairdresser you thought that's all it takes I'm, all, I'm a school owner I'm, I'm doing pretty yep, good I can open up a salon yep passionate hire some yeah. pretty people and I'm I'm in business yep absolutely and then the other thing is I didn't realize you know that it takes people to run a company and I needed to invest in people. I was so focused on the business of it. In fact, I even hired a consultant when that trained me for almost two years that came in and taught me this system and this level system. And the system was great, don't get me wrong, but the problem was they left out the training of culture, which I've so um, learned from you that it takes culture. You know, we, we always talk about culture eats vision for lunch, and that is so true. You know, I was just a bad leader. I didn't believe in my people, I didn't train my people, and what I know now is so much different that it takes people to to run a business and to focus on their own personal growth and help them understand that you need them. They don't need you. You need them to run your business. And so just truly believing in them. So that's, you know, where the challenge was with me. You know, John Maxwell calls it the law of the lid, right? So if you put your hand out, you know, where would you say you're at on the level scale of one to 10 of being a leader, right? I was probably a two, you know, back then, you know, now it's, you know, maybe a, you know, seven or an eight, you know, I've grown quite a bit, but your people will never, ever be able to surpass your leadership. That so so that lid, so to speak, is at a level two, your people will never move never. past a level two. Never. If that's where you are as a leader. Yep, absolutely. And that's you know, you why said, I failed. And, and some people listening to this saying, well, I totally understand P&Ls. And so, you know, she was just an idiot and I understand P&Ls and so I'm good to go. 
Um, but you also said something that you didn't believe in your people. Oh my gosh, I can't tell you how mm -hmm. often I see that with business owners. I know business owners who think that their people are idiots. I know people outside the beauty industry, and, and again, there's people listening to this who are not in the beauty industry, and this applies to them as well, but people who will invest in a certain industry, but they think that the people who work in that industry are, are idiots. I know outsiders who own salons who have never stepped foot in their salons, and they think hairdressers are whatever. So you didn't believe in your people. What did that look like? What did that mean for you back then? Not now, yeah. back then. What did that mean you didn't believe in your people? Yeah, I just didn't think that they really cared about my company. I didn't feel like they cared about my business. And and I just had it all flipped over just completely wrong. I had to help them understand that they I need needed to get them to buy in, in the vision that I had for them. And I had to start taking time out for them and to see where their goals and dreams are and then see if they match with my goals and dreams and then just start you know, building from that point. So you had your vision, mm -hmm. whether or not you communicated that properly. I did not properly, communicate it. But, yeah. but what you're saying is you needed to just take a step back and find out what their vision was, what their goals yeah. were to be able to kind of help them. And I didn't. I never spent one-on-one mm. -on -one time. So the type of business leader I am now is completely then the business leader I am then. Now I do one-on-ones. When I have a salon now, we just got back into the salon business this past year, and my daughter, Brianna, and I are partners with this. So her and I will sit down, and we'll talk to them. We talk, yeah, about their numbers. By the way, you're in business with the amazing Ken Pavis yes. as well, and oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh yeah. He, if you guys don't know Ken Pavis, you're living under a rock. Just Google <laughs> Ken Pavis. Oprah Oprah calls him the big kahuna of hair or something like that. Yeah, you know, talking about stock visionaries, that happened because of you when, you know, introducing us and here this guy is ten minutes from my other business, you right. know, and it took, you know, the connection of you to set that up with him and wow. Uh, Brianna and Ken are just two peas in a pod. They're just alike. It's absolutely amazing. And he loves his people so much. And he will say on stage, but I just don't understand the business. So you have to have that great balance of both, you mm -hmm. know, of really understanding budgets. You can't overspend. You know, you got to make more than you spend. Or you're going to have to shut down the doors of your business. But most importantly was really setting up a real strong culture in the salon as, as we've done it in our schools. Um, setting up the culture first, you know, and then really spending time with your people and, you know, not just professionally, but physically, intellectually, emotionally, spiritually, understanding their needs and helping them to get those goals and those dreams met. You know, when they, people um, know how much you care, right, then they care how much you know. Right. You know, that's a great quote from John Maxwell and it's so true. You know, people want to work for people they want to work with. There's a lot of choices out there when there's a lot of salon owners out there and they're going to work for somebody that they love. You know, time is too short and they know it. I, uh, on the plane right here yesterday, sat next to this uh, attorney, a very successful attorney. She says she has like 30 attorneys that work for her. And and somehow we were talking and I gave her my book. And she's like, oh, my gosh, now can we talk? Because she's like looking, okay, I need to talk to you. And she's like, my people think that I'm a, a witch, a, the B word. Yeah. She's like, and I probably am. She says yeah. every single day I'm answering the same questions a thousand times a day. I'm pissed at my people mm -hmm. a thousand times a day for the same stuff that I was mad at them yesterday. And, 
you know, so we went through the whole thing. Well, is it written down? There's a system. And so if they're not abiding by your dress code or whatever, you know, it's not that you're mad at them. It's just that they're not abiding by what they agreed to do, which is the system of the organization. And so anyway, got into that whole thing. But uh, at the end of the day, she's like, you know, she was telling me that people steal from her people. I'm like, well, of course, there's no emotional connection. Yeah. All you've done is engage their time. Yep. So they show up to work and then they clock out for work yep. and that's all you've done. And while they're there, like, I, I don't care who she is and, and I'm going to steal and, and how she just treated me is worse than me stealing. So I'm going to steal again. Yeah. So there's no you emotional know. connection. I 100% agree with that. You know, emotional intelligence, it trumps in IQ. It just mm-hmm. does. You know, 70% of people with average IQs are actually doing better in this country than people with high IQs, you know, which I love. And I'm so glad you brought up an attorney's office because when I knew I had to take this message, not just in the beauty industry, I knew I needed to take this message outside Why? of the beauty industry just because I have, like, my heart just keeps saying I want to help people. Mm-hmm. When my goal and my purpose in life is just to add value to people. It just makes you feel so good if you can help people become better people. And, you know, I speak at, you know, chambers of commerce, you know, Compass events, different business leaders. And I'm telling you, the same struggle is happening. This woman is not isolated, you know, and I always say, listen, your people are talking about you. They're saying all of your weaknesses and everything that's bad about you. So bring it to the forefront, you know, share your weaknesses, share your failures in front of your staff, be vulnerable, be transparent, because they're already talking about you, you might as well keep it out of the back room. (laughs) And once I did that, my team just started to fall in love with me. And I can't even begin to tell you when the leaders in my schools that I run, you know, how incredible leaders that they've become only because I've lifted my lid of leadership, right? And it's so easy. It's, you know, that button with staples where you just press that was easy. That's how I feel every single day because of the moment that I took the time and, and, you know, I just want to backtrack because three years ago I went to Guatemala with 150 John Maxwell coaches. In fact, right now they're in Paraguay right now doing the same thing. They're training 25,000 leaders and what they're doing is training on leadership principles, leadership characteristics that you need to possess to be a brilliant leader, right? And so I go there and I'm thinking, man, I'm going to teach leadership. I know so much. I'm so amazing. And what I didn't realize, I just broke down and cried and said, you know what, Tina, this is your problem. You have all of these challenges, so you need to share these with your staff. You need to go back and apologize to them for being a bad leader. So I did. I went home. I'll never forget that day. I called them all up. We got on a conference call. I called all my leaders. It was about 10 or 12 of them. They get on the call, and I just broke down and cried. And I just said, I just want to tell you, I'm so sorry for the leader that I was, and I I want to promise you that I'm going to work on becoming a stronger leader, and I'm so glad that I joined this John Maxwell team to help set me up with the tools and I cannot wait to share with you all of these tools that I'm learning and so that's what I've done in past three years I've been sharing all the tools we go through a book every 10 weeks together with my leaders we call them masterminds right and I share I go first leader has to go first I always share my weakness and failure first and once I started doing that when 
Then I noticed that my team would start to share their weaknesses and failures. And recently I brought this into our salon, our new salon with Ken Pavis, and we're doing the 17 laws of leadership together. And we're reading a chapter every few weeks before our salon team meeting, right? And so I started this and I'm telling you, there was just a pin could drop in that room because I, it has been so long since I have been with a salon team and I've been with my team for so long. So I was used to, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly that was happening with this whole, you know, new leadership. And then my whole team were sitting in a circle, right? And I started to share my weaknesses and failures. You should see in their eyes. They're like, I can't believe that she's sharing her weaknesses and failures. So that first meeting, not one of them shared a weakness or failure. It was, it was really quite funny. So I just kept being vulnerable and transparent. I kept doing it over and over again. Brianna did the same thing, my daughter. And so then the next meeting, they started to open up just a little bit. It's been one year that we've been doing this, and they're so much more open and more transparent. And you know what happened? Because of that, we've become a more of a family mm -hmm. together. And it's just been incredible. And everybody wants to make this business soar. You know, they want it. We want to do it together. I truly feel that now we are a team. But there's that emotional connection that we were talking emotional. about. And when, when people are emotionally connected, mm. now you're getting their heart. Yes. You're getting the brilliance of their mind. You're getting their passion. Um, I, I love. I, can, I keep on telling that joke about the guy giving a tour of the warehouse, and the person asks, "So, how many people work here?" Oh, about half. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Meaning there's yeah. no, there's no, no connection. Engagement. There's no engagement. Yeah. Now, I, not that I want to keep on focusing on this of what your bad leadership looked like, but I do for a little bit. Yeah. And because it is very, very common in the workplace. Like if I work someplace and I don't have the answer to something, I'm not going to ask. Right. Like if I don't know how to do something, if I ask... They're going to think that I'm stupid. Right. They're going to think that I'm incompetent. Mm -hmm. They're going to think that I wasn't listening in the staff training. And so rather than ask somebody for help in this area, I'll just get it wrong. I'll just screw it up. I'll oh screw gosh. it up. Yeah. And that is so commonplace. And why is that? Because what you just said, the boss isn't vulnerable. Yeah. You know, old school leadership is that I have all the answers as the boss. I've got this thing down. I'm, you know, what I say rules the day because I'm the smartest person here. I'm the most important person in this organization. And when you come off with that ego-driven leadership, there's no way your people are going to feel that they can be vulnerable to ask questions and to learn more and to do better and to be emotionally engaged. And so what else yeah. did you yeah. said that you didn't believe in your people and yeah. that was bad leadership. What else did bad leadership look like for you? Yeah, it was just honestly just not taking time to spend with them. I wasn't building that solid relationship with them. You know, I, I didn't really realize. I thought, well, man, I shouldn't really have a relationship with my staff. Like I should keep, you know, arm's length and not really build that with them. And honestly, what I realized in order to get past you know, that bad leadership, I had to build the appropriate solid relationship with them. Which doesn't mean, time. you know, you have to have them over for dinner in no. your home. It doesn't mean no. you have to, you know, because I do believe that leaders need boundaries. They need privacy. They need, yeah. you know, all those things. And so people listening to this thinking, oh gosh, I got to have barbecues. That may or may not 
you know, be yeah, part of the process. But, okay. Yeah, it's not what I do. It's really just spending time with them like you and I are spending time with each other and just really talking through any kind of issues, like getting to know their kids, getting to know their spouses, you know, finding out what makes them tick. What do they like to do besides work, mm -hmm. right? It's building that relationship so that you can really build that solid family, if you will, because we always say, oh, we're a family. Oh, really? Are you really a family? <laughs> you know, do you really, you know, help them? to get what they want, not just in professionalism, but also in life, you know. Many years ago, I interviewed a very, very successful man in the beauty industry who had multiple massive salons and spas, and but his nail department and these massive salons and spas were not doing well. And so he brought in this great consultant, and so he's given her a tour of the you know, here's our skin department, here's the nail department, here's the hair department, and, and at the end of the day, she's like, I'll tell you exactly what the problem is. You don't know your nail department people. When we walked through your hair department, you knew their names, you knew what vacation they just took, they all came up and hugged you, yep. you knew, you know, what kids they had and what schools they were going mm -hmm. to. You walked through the nail department, you didn't know anybody, you didn't know their names, you didn't know anything about them. Yeah, that's exactly the mistake I made. I, I just didn't know that I should build that kind of relationship with them, you know. And, and so I was a fool. And look what happened. You know, my business failed. So, um, you know, I've been uh, clean off of drugs for, you know, over 13 years now. And I remember it was less than a year of being clean that it slipped out on stage in front of a group of people. And I was like, oh, my gosh, what did I just do? And when it happened, I regretted, why did I just expose myself? Why did I just say that? And it was one of the best things that I did. Like backstage, I got <laughs> mobbed. Yeah. When you, oh my gosh. And now all of a sudden, people shared things and people were, if when is doing this, I can do it too. And it was yeah. the best thing that I ever did. So that's part of that being, you know, transparent and, you know, sharing your stories, sharing your failures. That's crazy that you said that. Cause I, I actually remember that day, you know, when you started to share that with all of us and it just made me feel so much closer to you when, and it gave me the courage when I did start to stand on stage it was a whole nother story about becoming a motivational speaker. But I remember the first day and I was actually here in Orlando and I shared my story when I was 16. I'd never shared this story with anybody, not even my family. And I had written a suicide note to my family because I was going to end my life that year. I wasn't sure when or how, but I was going to end my life. So I wrote that story. And I'll never forget that because I stood on stage and I was bawling like a baby telling that story. And, you know, the school owner, Julio, he sat me down and he said, you know, you need to keep telling that story. He said, that was the best part of your entire presentation was telling that story. And I'm like, oh, should I? Because I was so embarrassed. Right. I was so ashamed that I shared that. But I can tell you afterwards, I had so much more connection to the people. And so finally, and you know, that mess has become part of my message. And that has been actually the whole crux of my entire book that I wrote too, because it helped open up the doors to being able to speak into people's lives. And they're like, oh my gosh, if, if Tina can get through life, I can get through life too. I think that's a good word to describe leadership is connection. Mm -hmm. And especially nowadays with yeah. technology, you, you, there can be five people at dinner and they're not 
connecting because oh, <laughs> they're all texting somebody <laughs> yep. else, you know? Yes. And yeah. I've been guilty of that too, right. you know, and you're right. It is about connection. And, and now I, I've been really setting that phone aside and trying to stay focused, you know, when I'm with people, especially my staff, you know, I'll throw it in the drawer, you know, and I'm starting to think, you know, what greatness can I call out of them that they don't already know about themselves? Because that's going to help me connect to them. You know, sometimes, yeah, I share my story. Most of the time they already know it because they've heard it, you know, when I've spoken right. about the story. But let's say I need to tell it because I see they're struggling maybe with low self-esteem. And I'm telling you when my entire life, that's what I've struggled with is low self-esteem. And it's still one of those fights that I go through, the fighting of those limiting beliefs at a consistent basis that I have to get through. So I honestly, I spend so much time on self-leadership and it's all about that self-awareness. So the highest form of leadership is leading ourselves. And so if that's a message I can give today on this master CD and, you know, so many people think when that, you know, Leading myself would be, oh, I'm going to do more haircuts. I'm going to do, you know, more colors. Um, I'm going to invest in myself in more, you know, hair cutting classes or hair show classes. Yeah, that's great. But that's about 15% of our success statistically, right? 85% of our success is going to be on that emotional intelligence. It's going to be building on not only our professional, but physical, intellectual, emotional, and spiritual. And that's why I love books. That's why I love TED Talks. We've talked about those. You know, there's so many things out there nowadays. We're just flooded, you know, with information. But it's just really spending that time. You know, where do I need to improve? And, you know, self-image is where I have needed to improve. And I remember when you told us we have to become, you know, motivational speakers, I think that was was in back in 2004 and I literally crawled underneath the table when you said that when like I was mad at you you don't even know but I was pissed at you in fact I wanted to quit being a school owner that day I really did because I said no I will never ever stand in front of people and talk to people I'm too scared you know you said death by fire is you know people's biggest fear right oh yeah I was right up there you know standing up there and speaking and so you said something that really hit home with me and you said it's not about you it's about the people that you can help change their lives and I knew I got into this business for ministry I got into it to change people's lives so I said if I can't stand on stage and share my story I'm not going to change people's lives so you got to get over yourself and you got to stand up on stage and just start sharing your story and that you know low self-image thing that I struggle with I can tell you 99% of the people that are in that room are struggling with the same exact thing. You know, standing on the stage is a staff meeting with four people. Exactly. People think, yeah. well, I'm not going to be a motivational speaker mm -hmm. like Wynn and Tina. You know, I'm, I'm not out on the road, you know, getting my fees and selling books. So I don't need to be a motivational speaker. What we mean by that is to be able to move a group of people and that group of people could be four people on your staff on your team yeah it could move be, them with your words and your stories it could be your clients yeah in your chair there i've seen go. the biggest motivational inspirational speakers that are hairstylists standing behind the chair i've watched my staff i've watched my you know instructors in our school stand and become motivational speakers just with that one client sitting in the chair you have right. no idea the life you can change yeah. right then and there Mm. I agree. Well, thanks for taking yeah. on that challenge. Yeah. <laughs>
I love it gives me life like just being here with you when and sharing this it just gives me so much life because you know I do struggle with depression I do struggle with you know being down on myself and so the more that I can give back and the more I can share my story the more energy I get and the more life that I have you know as well so Tina tell us more about leading ourselves you know when um for me, it kind of started out just 10 minutes a day in the beginning. And what I would do is I would start to just study things that would help improve me. What, you know, what kind of things? Um, gosh, the number one thing is always the Bible. I'm always digging into the Bible and digging deep to see, okay, what does God want to say to me, right? Uh, books, you know, John Maxwell's books. I started with those. I started reading them. I started studying, obviously, John Maxwell University. I started to study those as well. I love to listen to inspirational, motivational talks. I love Joel Olstein. I love Joyce Meyer. I love Eric Thomas, so many of these things, and it started to really resonate with me to see what I needed to do, what weaknesses that I need to strengthen, and also the strengths that I had to lean into and to help, you know, develop myself. It's really about the key win is self-awareness, right? Once you're self-aware, now you can start making those shifts and changes. You know, I think about my husband, you know, being married to him. It's been, I call him my boyfriend, Brian, right? How many years have you been married? Oh my gosh, it's over 30 years this year, you right? Have two children. How old are they? Yeah, 22 and 24. Justin is 22. And, you know, I think about all the things that I needed to do to be a better mom. You know, I think about all the things I needed to do to be a better spouse. You know, your book, when was the first motivational self-help book, self-awareness book I ever read. I never even knew about it till I met you. And so when I started digging into that book, uh, Be Nice or Else, I'll never forget, because my son, he was probably 12 at that time, he wrote a letter, and I read this letter, by the way, to all the Paul Mitchell school owners one day, and I was sobbing telling the story. He wrote this letter that I want to thank Wynn Claybaugh for writing Be Nice or Else because my mom is so such a nicer person now and I will never forget that day because that self-awareness that I had and after reading your book and realizing that the number one thing that was causing all the challenges in my life was my low self-image and studying you know chapter four boost your self-esteem that became the crux of my motivational message that became the center of every message I give on stage or wherever I'm at in a you know staff meeting if you will it became the center of that message for everything that I do because I realized right then in there that I needed to be a holy person and I think I made up the word it's w-h-o-l-l-y a whole person right? right and you taught that you know we're not just professional only individuals my whole life I was just going through the motions I was just you know playing sports I was working I was doing this I was doing that being the mom doing the mom things right just you know just going through the motions and I realized no Tina you need to start spending some time on yourself it's about self-awareness fill up your reservoir fill up your bucket right because you can't give what you don't have and that's what I realized all those years 
as a business owner, I was only giving out of what I had left, of what I had given myself, which was nothing. So I told you it started 10 minutes a day, right? I literally, and I got up this morning very early. I spent over an hour, some mornings an hour, some three hours, just studying books, uh, studying the Bible. I have some incredible devotions that I go through. I love going through the roadmap for success right now with John Maxwell. I lead masterminds, online masterminds, because I travel so much, and literally what these masterminds are is their book study clubs. And we have guest speakers like you, Win. You, you spoke on one of our masterminds. We have guest speakers on those. I eat this stuff up. This is all about leading ourselves. It's about self-awareness. It just, you know, it really, I'm obsessed now with improvement. I have to interject. People are going to think that I, <laughs> that this is a, 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 a Win Claybot endorsement master's issue. And, uh, I'm sorry, I'll, but you changed you. my life. <laughs> I'll pay you well after, but I swear you guys, I did not plan it like that, but I, I'm very, very humbled and grateful. So, you know, being self-aware, we, you know, we talked about your weaknesses and that you needed to become transparent and share your weaknesses and the ways in which you felt like you weren't there for your people. But then you also said something, you know, be aware of your strengths as well. And mm -hmm. I think you said lean into your strengths. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about that? Yeah, you know. Because otherwise, it's like people thinking, gosh, oh I got I to come up with every yeah. time <laughs> my whole life of when I screwed up and that's the next staff meeting, you know. <laughs> I got to read and my. And I think that's important, you know, because they already know it. But you're right. Lean into your strengths because what happens is those strengths will give you energy. And so I notice, like, if I start spending too much time in areas that's not my strength, you know, that I should be delegating out or empowering somebody else on my team to take on, right? right? And so if I don't do that, what happens now, I can't fill up my bucket. I don't have joy. I'm not happy. I can't give back to my team what they deserve. And they deserve that from me. They deserve all of me, everything. So, not, not just you sharing yeah. your weaknesses, but yeah. also they need to learn from and experience how Tina is brilliant. Absolutely. And you know how you find out? You ask them. Uh, really? Yeah. And that's what I did. I just started to spend time with my staff and say, hey, what do you think my strengths are? And okay. I would ask them my weaknesses, too. But what are my strengths? And, and, so and what did they tell you? What did you, you discover about yourself and your own strengths? Yeah. You know, what I realized was I'm a high achiever, and I love to create new Duh. things. Duh. Right? And so they're like, just stay in that strength, empower us, inspire. Like, we love to be inspired, Tina. You know, when you walk into the building, we want to make sure that you're always creating magic for the staff. Spend time with the staff. And you it's know, so inspiring. easy for a very, I mean, you have three yeah. schools and a salon and yep. a home life and all of that and two homes. And a, so easy for you yep. to go straight to your office. Yep. You could be in the mm -hmm. best mood that day, but you're busy. Yep. It's so easy for you to go walk through your building. And I've seen in one of your schools, the office is in the very back corner opposite of where the front door is. And so yep. if you sneak in the back door, which they all know you're there. Yep. Or if you oh, walk yeah. through the front door and go straight to your office, the buzz in your building within two minutes is Tina's in a bad mood. Yep. Oh, yeah. When I literally, I had to get rid of my office in the building. I had to. And like I mentioned, we have the salon now, my daughter and I, and we said, listen, let's not have an office right. here. There's no reason to be in it. You know, your office is right here on this clinic floor. Your office is right here. Well, last night at the restaurant we went to, the manager was walking around and he, I think he came by our table probably four times. And then in, he struck up a conversation with somebody else that we were with and he's actually a chef. 
And the person with us said, you're a chef, why aren't you in the kitchen? He said, oh, there's plenty of chefs out there. We need a chef out here on the floor. We need a yeah. chef out here to make sure that as people are eating and what's arriving, you know, looks That's the way cool. it's supposed to. And I, it was great. Yeah. He was out and about. And it's so easy, yeah. you know, for owners and managers and leaders to just get stuck in that back office. Oh, it's the worst. It and you is know, the it worst. It drains me, you know, and I so just I have learned. no office anywhere except for my home. That's the only yeah, place that I have yeah. an office, which, by the way, is the dining room table. And so... <laughs> I'm right there with my daughter as uh-huh. she's eating and as, Aww. you know, I get pulled away every five minutes, which is just perfect for me. Yeah. But, but I, otherwise I, I literally have no office anywhere. Yeah. I'm the same way when I have know, buildings, no office in any of them. No, I, I'm the same way. And I'll go into another staff member's office if I need to talk, you know, right. to them or somebody else, but I'm too messy anyway. I'm not organized, but, um, so that worked out really good for me, but yeah, just leaning into those strengths and realizing that, okay, I need to inspire people. I need to motivate people. I need to find out where they're at so that I can help them, you know, reach to where they want to go. And that was truly my strength. So majority of my time when I spend on that and all the stuff that I hate to do I do out of my home you know like the budgets and the numbers and all that stuff yeah because if you hate doing that I guess you have to like it right (laughs) if you hate doing that and you're doing it in the building in front of people now you're not at your best now you're in a bad mood you're not glowing you're not the fabulous Tina because you just had to look at a budget report yeah Right, Absolutely. got it. Okay, and yeah. So, so yeah. and Brian, your husband, he deserves the worst of you anyway. Let let you know, <laughs> take that home. Let him deal with yeah, it. Yeah, luckily he's at the office too, and I can shut that uh, you know door. Okay. But he helps me through that process. I okay. actually delegate a lot of that out to him too. So you also said that uh, leadership begins at home. What do you mean mm-hmm. by that? Gosh, when you know it's crazy because. And thanks I'll... for sharing the story about your son writing that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think honestly. I knew that. Yeah, he wrote that story about you know you and how that book changed my life, and it really did. It started that cycle of becoming a better mom at that time, you know, and you know when I think about leadership starts at home, it really hit home with me when I was actually at an event. I was at a speakers bureau event in Marco Island, Florida, and I'm listening to the speaker. His name was Miles Monroe, and uh, I've been studying leadership with John Maxwell, and he starts yelling out to all the men in the room. He said, listen, men, you know, leadership starts at home. You know, you want to be a great leader in the workplace. Well, if you're acting a fool at home, right, you're going to act a fool at work. Right. And so I was like, Plus, where's the credibility? Yes, absolutely. If if you're you're not becoming a better parent, a better spouse, a better lover, a better all those things out People are watching you. Of course Your they people are. are watching you. You know, business owners that are really listening to this, your staff knows about your home life, whether you think that you know that they know or not. And I said to myself, okay, I get it. Leadership starts at home. All of my friends were getting divorced when we've been married over 30 years. So that's going to happen, right? But I'm like, this is ridiculous. I've got to do something. You know, again, I got to add value to people. What can I do? And so I said, okay, let's start, honey, let's start a Bible study called Leadership Starts at Home. It's an online mastermind leadership Bible study, right? And what'd you do? You, you called your friends whose yep. marriages are in trouble? <laughs> I just called, I, you know what? I, I posted it on Facebook. Anybody who wants to do it, right? I didn't call the friends that marriages were in trouble. I was hoping they would call me, right? And, uh, did, it, but, did any of them call? Yeah, a couple of them did. And so huh. we have uh, over 30 couples 
on this really? online mastermind now. Wow. And it's so cool because it gives the ability to people who either can't go to church or have never been to church because maybe they're a little nervous about it, right? right? And also people with young children because they don't, you know, want to be leaving their kids all day from work and then go to a Bible study with their spouse. Okay. My husband and I spent years in these studies. And so we said, you know what, we can do something. Let's go ahead and start this Bible study. And it actually has turned into something huge for me when, because, you know, again, that self-leadership thing, right? And so it's helped me to realize that I need to be an even better spouse. So I'm telling you, this is not a one-time deal. You know, you don't just take a class and all of a sudden become a better spouse. This is a daily thing. It's all oh, really? about self-awareness. You, you, you don't get to graduate <laughs> I from I wish that. I could. I wish it's I like, could. It's like graduating from yoga. <laughs> You never, you never graduate. Oh gosh, yoga! I cannot bend over at all and bend in those, <laughs> those movements. But, but it is. There's so some true. things that you don't graduate from. You, you never it's, will. It's, it's the curriculum for the rest of your life. Yep. It's the effort and the focus. Yes. And a priority for the rest of your life. And working on your marriage is one of those things. Oh my gosh, this is the number one thing. And I know that if my husband and I have a fight, let's say, and I go into work, it's going to affect everything that I do in my business. And so I know I've got to make sure at all times that Brian and I are getting along, right? And I had developed this mantra, which I love. It's called, It's My Fault. And it came from Kelly Cardenas, who's just an incredible mentor of mine. He's coaching me in my salon right now, too. We worked out at yeah. the Gym this morning, by oh the way, Ke Kelly I and I. Can't believe well, I don't, know, I don't out, know. I don't know but... how much we worked out because uh, <laughs> it was a lot of conversation. But, but he, he taught he's me that. Yeah. He taught me that mantra when it's my fault. And so now, why, why, every what, what, what does that mean? Why? You know, why is that a good oh, mantra? This is the best mantra ever. This past year, it changed my life. So immediately, when something goes wrong, I mean, I usually life, say it's my responsibility. I don't know yeah. if I've ever. Well, I guess I've said it's my yeah. fault. But so you feel like you need to go that. Yes. Take it that far. It's my fault. Yes. And you know what? Honestly, I do. Because what happens, like, let's say Brian and I get in a fight and I'm thinking I'm right. Right? And if I say in my mind, it's my fault. But usually you are right. I mean, Brian knows. Yeah, no, I'm, right. I'm kidding. Of course I'm, kidding, I'm, I'm right. Kidding. But, you know. That, that's one of the, <laughs> from Course in Miracles, you know, you want to be right or you want to be happy. That's it. And Thank many you. times we want to be right. Yes. But oh. you know what? There was something in there that I, was my fault. There was something in there. It was the way I approached him or the timing. You know, something I've realized with my husband, and I bet a lot of women can equate to this, you know, don't approach your husband with a challenge when he's hungry, right? It's all about timing. <laughs> <laughs> right? Oh, my right? gosh. And, feed him, a, feed him a good meal and then let it loose. <laughs> So that's timing. So when, yeah. if something went wrong, you know, you're saying it's my fault. Oh, he had an empty stomach. Yeah. Which is legitimate. There's always something you right. did okay. wrong in it. You have it's to never one. If there's two people, yeah. it's never one, just never. one person's stuff. Never. Two and, people and have stuff. Two people have stuff. And that's the same thing at work. Okay, so immediately if there's a challenge with a staff member, a challenge with a situation, right, at work, and I immediately say, it's my fault. And, you know, I've trained my directors to say that too. And they immediately, you can hear them say it, it's my fault. You know, even if you kind of don't think it's your fault at all, and you say it, all of a sudden, well, it was, wait a minute, there was something I could have done with that situation, right? And so immediately solutions start to happen, and you realize, you know, you know what I should have supported that staff 
member more. So not, you're, you're not like, them. it's my fault, woe is me, no, I suck. Not I'm, yeah, 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 you're not no. throwing a little pity party. No. You're taking responsibility. Yeah, 100%. I, I could have done more. Yeah, you know, we've always said, if it's to be, it's up to me, right? right. And that's it, you know? And so take on that mantra, and I'm telling you, that's probably the best mantra I've ever learned in my life, professionally well, and personally. Well, I know you have a, a good one. Uh, four other mantras, which I'm going to mm -hmm. ask you about here in a little bit. But I love mantras. Uh, <laughs> all right, there's, there's things that I repeat to myself a yes. lot. Yes. Like the same three words or the same sentence. Yes. Over and over and over. There's and power over in words when oh, yeah. words change lives. Words created this world. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> There's so much power in words. And the more that you can keep repeating those over in your mind, all of a sudden you start to believe them. Yeah. Right? Speak it, believe it, receive it. Love it. Love it. I mean, I, I feel like we could do just an entire master's interview on leadership. And we've covered some incredible things. Everything from... Uh, how emotional intelligence trumps IQ. You talked about the importance of being transparent, uh, leading ourselves, taking responsibility, your own self-awareness, what bad leadership looks like, what good leadership looks like. You said that, and this is a, a statement from John Maxwell, culture eats vision for lunch. Mm. Yeah. Talk about that. Oh my gosh. You know, if you don't have a culture set up in your business, and I learned this from you, Wynn, because that was the very first thing we always focused on in our schools. You know, we always say, you know, culture is what makes us unique. And it truly is. And honestly, there's no business that ever makes it in this world that doesn't have a culture set up. And what I mean by that is that there's actual behavioral systems that are set up in your business that are expected there are standards that you set and probably the best thing that we ever developed which is of course on your website be nice or else is the golden rules and I love the golden rules I even put them in my book because I wanted people to be able to use that as a way to start developing their own in fact we started developing in our salon called Ken pay the standards how to act how everybody needs to act and you know one of them of course is always being a great mood right mm -hmm. so you got to leave your problems at home you know you walk in that back door you leave them because it's so important you know for the emotions or the mentality of every single person walking in there your guest that or your client is counting on you being in a great mood yeah. so that's all part they, of the culture they're paying for that I'm, I'm surprised how many salons don't set up culture systems and in fact we've been going in my daughter and I we've been teaching leadership classes to salons mm -hmm. we're having the greatest time doing this but the first thing we ask them what is your culture and I'm telling you when they don't know what their culture is they don't know what behavioral systems are expected of them so that's the first thing that I would always suggest and you know Kelly Cardenas suggested that of me when he was coaching me with the salon and I couldn't even believe that I didn't realize to set that up first I was like oh I got to set up all these business systems we got to do this this and this you know we'll do our one-on-ones boom 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 and he's like wait a minute you guys set up culture first this whole year is all about culture mm -hmm. and so that's what Brianna and I have been doing we've been developing written systems just on the culture for the first year. Yeah. And you Which know, again is different than a, a system of how you run the company. It is. You know, you have a system for how you do payroll. You have right. a system for how you keep the place clean. Right. This is 
No. You called it behavioral Behavioral systems. systems. Yeah. And we call it Ken Pavis standards. You know, what would Ken Pavis expect when, you know, he walks into this building? What would he like people to be doing? And, you mm. know, the first and foremost is holding each other accountable. You know, something, another thing we've, you know, developed in our businesses is called having constant uninhibited communication that breaks down walls. And again, I learned that from our coach, Kelly Cardenas. He said, I asked him, I said, what is the one thing that makes your salons that you've built so strong? He said, Tina, because we have developed this culture system to have constant uninhibited communication that breaks down walls. So you know what I did? Every single evaluation, every single annual evaluation I did in my schools this past year, we put that quote in front of them and asked them, what do you think about this? And you know what they said to me when my heart almost broke? They said, well, I didn't want to say this or now that you know, you're giving me an open door to say this, could I share something with you? Wow. And they've been opening up their hearts and minds to us, to myself and to my directors. And we've been building, again, another solid relationship. You don't graduate from this. It's more stuff, you know, to build that relationship with them and, yeah, and safety. You know, what's, what's interesting is how many leaders don't want to know. Yeah. It's, it's like it's a, it's like a stylist or, or anybody in the service industry does not want to hear a complaint. Yeah. They don't want to hear. So they won't even ask. Right. I did an interview recently, and, and the guy was stressing the importance of a post-consultation. Not We all do pre-consultations. What are you looking for? But when the service is done, tell me, how did I do? You know, on a, on a scale from 1 to 10, how do you feel about this? How do you feel about that? How do you feel about how you were treated? How do you feel about your massage? How do you feel about how you were talked to? Like a post, and most people don't want to know. You know, you know, but the funny thing is Yelp knows. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> Yelp's got it, and, and people don't want to know because they yeah. think it's bad news. It's not bad news. It's just information that you need so that you can go to the next level with your people, with your company, with your profitability and everything else. You know why? I really think it is, and it happened to me too when I got stuck in that rut because I had such low self-esteem or so many self-limiting beliefs about myself that I didn't want to know what was wrong with me. I didn't want people to point that out. So until again, it goes to that leading ourselves. It goes to that key is self-awareness. Like, wait a minute. Okay. I know that I'm not perfect in this area. So I need to grow in this area. So I need to ask my staff. I tell you what, the best thing I ever did with my team is ask them, Hey, what do I need to do more of? What do I need to do less of? What do I need to stop doing? And what do I need to start doing? So say those and, four things again. Yeah. More of less of stop doing, start doing. And I can be honest with you, this past year is the first year that I can truly tell you that my key leaders have shared the answers with me and they're dead right on. Because I already know what I need to did, do. Did you do it anonymously? No. So you nope. it was face-to-face -face or it was ri leaders. written down or, okay. Yep, I, well, I would send an Which, email By the way, out. it could be anonymous. Yeah. You know, because I know leaders who do that because they want to get the full truth and so they don't want a name attached to My it. My director did that. Okay. She did it anonymously. Okay, which is fine. And I was so proud of her that she did that. She mm -hmm. said, because I know I don't have complete safety and trust with every single staff member yet, but I'm going to. Mm -hmm. And she said, this is one way that I'll be able to do that. But mm -hmm. this past year, wow. I've developed such incredible relationships with my key leaders, mainly my directors of my schools. And I was able to ask them that question. They emailed them back. And then I went over them in their one-on-ones with them, and we discussed them. 
And they've changed my life, to be honest with you. I'll never forget when Sean said to me, I need you to answer your emails a lot quicker, he said to me. And, uh, and I said, oh, my gosh, Sean, I'm so sorry. You're right. I do need to answer them quicker. And I said, I can commit to this. So I gave him a commitment, and I cleaned up my emails. I went home. I hired my tech guy. I said, erase all these emails. I want to start over. And that's exactly what I did. All and my emails over. are in there. Great. You just erased yeah. all of my <laughs> emails. I've been waiting for answers yeah, anybody's missing an email it's because I erased them <laughs> but I'll tell you it wow. changed my life because I don't want Sean to fire me you know right. he's a key team member in my schools I don't you, want, you don't him, want to him to fire me instead. right yeah right, exactly right. let's let's talk about leading there's several places I want to take you to and I can't believe we gotta <laughs> go through this so quickly um Let's talk about leading the next generation, so ah. the millennial generation. This, my heart. Because how old are you? Gosh, I'm, uh, I think I'm 51 almost. You think you are, okay, all right. <laughs> yeah, I might need to get a calculator out. So, I know, I forget, because sometimes I honestly think I'm 20. I mean, yeah, I've been working out and doing Beachbody. I just finished Insanity, and I'll tell you what, my body just almost broke. For two weeks, I couldn't work out because I was in so much pain. Yeah, okay. sometimes I think I'm 20, but listen, okay. my heart is so so strong about this because I keep hearing over and over and over what's wrong with this next generation they're just a bunch of losers they're gonna ruin our entire country I'm telling you when three out of four of my businesses are ran by Millennials and when you brought Lisa Orrell in to our schools to talk to us that one day I really took it to heart I studied her book Okay, like crazy, because when you said and she said the millennial generation will be the highest producing generation that ever lived, I believed it. And it's true in my schools mm -hmm. because majority, 85 percent of my businesses are millennials. And in fact, I would hire a millennial over someone that's my generation any day because, you know, they keep saying entitlement. They have entitlement. I haven't found one millennial to have entitlement, but I found people that are my generation that absolutely have entitlement. You know, yes. it's, it's almost like those people who, when they ask, oh, when how old is your daughter when she was two? Oh, the terrible twos. I'm like, there's never no. been one second of terrible. Oh, well, then the threes are coming. Well, she's three and a half, almost four. Not one second of terrible threes. And I think it's, yeah. I think people project that. You know, I've seen I do too. adults who are Speak terrible at 40. Yeah. You know, there's terrible 40s. You know, oh, yeah. and so, so they, they project that. And so people, oh, well, they're entitled. Well, yeah. no, I love this generation so much when, because I, I must be a millennial. I'm not sure, but I love them because they are so coachable. They want to be held accountable. They want the truth. They always say to me, give me the truth, you know, and I love that because now they're going to start making shifts and now I know where I need to support them but they're running my multi-million dollar companies mm -hmm. and I love them mm -hmm. I love the millennial generation and so I love to go in to speak I just spoke at a hair show this past year my daughter uh, Sean and myself all spoke at this hair show on get your leadership on leading the next generation and I'm telling you the room was filled with salon owners and they're all sitting in there and when we would ask you know about the millennial generation what challenges are you having you know in your salons you know what they would say my staff the three things that they would have, my staff, my staff, my staff. And I said to them, I said, well, do you know what the challenges that most of your staff are having? You know what they would say? My boss, my boss, my boss. You know? <laughs> 
<laughs> right? And so that was just and and so and, and guess who needs to make the shift here? It's the boss. boss. Because guess yes. what, boss? Your name's at the bank. That's it. Your mortgage is on the line here. Make the shift. Yeah, whereas yeah. your staff, they can move someplace else to a boss that is going to provide the leadership and the coaching and the training and the environment that's going to help them excel. When fall in love with your people, just fall in love with your people, help them to be successful. It's fun. It's fun to watch somebody succeed, to watch somebody. Sean's in my book, his story, by the way, and you can read it when it comes out, Sean Chido. But his story of, you know, what he's gone through in his past, okay? He came on as a $9 an hour employee. He is now the executive director over all of my schools and is becoming a partner in our salons as we start to build our salons. I don't want to lose this guy, mm -hmm. right? But that came from so much training, so much support that I gave him, not just professionally, but physically, intellectually, emotionally, spiritually. And being there for him. And I tell you, it's been a blast. Hmm. Love that. You also say that the highest form of leadership is giving. Because hmm. uh, you're involved in a lot of different charities and a lot of different causes that are important to you for specific reasons, which we'll find out about. But what do you mean by that? The highest form of leadership is giving. Yeah. It's not only the highest form of leadership is giving, but it's the highest form of living is giving. You know, people in the hair industry, the opportunity to have incredible speakers that we, they would never be able to afford in their businesses and the opportunity to go and have incredible training outside of the schools that they would never be able to afford when. So that Andrew Goldman's Dream Foundation is just most important to me as well. And that's why in my masterminds and my book, I give 20% of proceeds to go back to the industry. In fact, we've raised well over $5,000 just this past year doing these masterminds as well. But also because with the Andrew Gomez, we've taken some of the money, which my daughter is going to Nepal this year, and she's going to be training women that are caught in sex trafficking. She's going to be training them the field of hair. And the Andrew Gomez Dream Foundation gave $16,000 worth of, of kits to, you know, the training kits to be able to train these women. And so she's going to be going over there to be a part of a team to be able to train them. And that's so near and dear to my heart because to hear, and this happens in the United States when it's happening right near one of my schools or two of them in Detroit, Michigan, as well as Southwest Florida, where women and girls are caught in sex trafficking. And so again, to be able to give them an out, give them a career that they can do, this is the highest form of living. I mean, nothing can be better than that. And then we also give, we gave money to Wigs for Kids this past year, Andrew Gomez Dream Foundation, and that's near and dear to my heart to hear about these kids that, that get these wigs that are worth $900. They're expensive when $900 to put them on their head so they can die with dignity. Yeah. You know, by the way, look into that, people, if you haven't heard of Wigs for Kids. Yeah. It's a great organization. You know, there's a lot of organizations that provide wigs for adults but they skip kids because kids grow quickly and so the wig doesn't fit after a certain period of time and therefore there's not insurance that will cover that so anyway it's yeah. it's, a, it's a nightmare 
It's incredible. And the Andrew Gomez Dream Foundation, two years in a row, has donated $25,000 to this organization. And I'm telling you, I know the owner of this organization, Maggie Varney, and every single dollar she uses towards these wigs. And she's one incredible woman. And that's what I love about giving back to this organization. One of the other charities is Children's Miracle Network. And last year I had the opportunity to go to Orlando here to watch all of the kids that get the money to be able to help them through their challenges that they have. I met this young boy from Michigan and he had a heart defect and I still keep in touch with his mother to this day. She still emails me, she'll text me and let me know how he's doing. He's doing very well. He's in college actually. And to know that we had a part in that with, you know, our schools and giving back, you know, giving really is the highest form of living. You know, part of my book is when you sow, you grow. Mm -hmm. And what that means is the more you give into people, the more you're going to get back. And it's just a law. It just happens. It's just like a world law, if you will. The more you give, the more you get back. And it's true. Well, it seems like some businesses, well, not just businesses, but individuals say, well, you know, when I'm doing good financially, you know, then that's when I'll give. Yeah. And sometimes it needs to be just uh, the, opposite. the opposite of that. Yeah. You know, but I mean, we hear that within our organization. It's like, well, the business is struggling right now and we're really worried about this and that. And so uh, fundraising needs to be on the back burner right now because uh, we need to focus on these other things. How do you respond to that? Yeah, I 100% disagree with that. Um, I believe that we need to train our students how to give, period. And, you know, I, I love my coach, Paul Martinelli. He's with the John Maxwell team. And he said that he started to develop a giving plan instead of a receiving plan, a giving plan. So what he would do is he would sit down for the year and figure out how much money does he want to give this year. Then he just started backing it up and saying, okay, this is the type of money that I need to make then. And you know what happened? It switched in his brain. I can do this because I want to do this. I want to give back. You know, you pick these charities. He picks these charities or to his church that he gives to, and it gives him the ability to work even harder than he's ever worked before. Well, that's and great because we all have an income plan. I need to earn this amount of money to pay my bills, and he's doing it the opposite way. Giving plan. A giving plan rather than giving an income plan. plan. Well, Isn't that beautiful? That's great. Yeah. You're also passionate about an organization called Bright Pink. <laughs> Tell us about that. Who are they, wow. and, and why are you passionate about that? You know, uh, it's amazing when we're talking about mantras with crisis comes opportunity. That right. was one of my mantras that year. And in fact, my word for that year was patience. And what I didn't know is that I was going to be a patient in the hospital. Um, what happened when is you brought this organization to the forefront and you brought it to me and said, hey, do you think that we should be uh, supporting Bright Pink? And so I looked into it. I'm hearing their stories. I'm listening to these women tell what they do and how they support. They're the only organization, the only cancer organization that focuses on the prevention of breast and ovarian cancer, right? And immediately when she's telling the story, when I'm just sinking in the chair, I start crying. And I'm like, you guys are looking at me, what is wrong with her? And I said, well, what you don't know is that a week before I was just diagnosed with a precancerous lesion on my uterus. And you know, when I wasn't crying because I was sad that I was diagnosed with that. In fact, I hadn't even talked to anybody about it. Only my husband knew and my daughter knew. That was it. My son, we hadn't even told him yet that I was going to be getting a major surgery to get rid of this precancerous lesion. 
And so I start to learn all this information from Bright Pink that two out of three women die from ovarian cancer. It's known as a silent killer. And then all of a sudden I meet Jean Bra, who is helping out with this organization. She helps people that get cancer to help have proper treatment. So I talked to her for 90 minutes on the phone, her and her husband, Jean and Dean, and they helped me find a doctor. They helped me find a reputable doctor to be able to have this surgery. And I was able to make a conscious decision when I'm telling you, Bright Pink saved my life. They literally saved my life. And because of that, I got to give back. I have to help train women to prevent breast and ovarian cancer because it's such an insidious disease that they can be prevented. And I didn't know that. All of this information that I learned. So I became an education ambassador for Bright Pink as well. And my goal is that all of our schools across the country have a Bright Pink ambassador because we need to train these kids. We need to train these kids. We need to train our staff how to prevent breast and ovarian cancer when that's part of giving back that's part of giving to your staff it's part of building that solid relationship as a leader i think it's our responsibility to help train and that's why i've taken this on so it's not just writing a check no it's, it's getting in there it's getting in the checks trenches are important. yep checks are important trust me yes we need the money but listen and that's where i came back to you know with crisis comes opportunity it's really given me the opportunity when to get out there and you know share my story save lives as well so a couple of other mantras you shared with me uh one is there is nothing to worry about ever ah. why is that a good <laughs> mantra for you that was the first mantra i ever took on and that was when i joined the john maxwell team my coach Scott Fay, he's part of the team. He's one of the presidents of the team. I was in Guatemala. We were training these leaders, and I'm sitting there talking to him. I was sharing my heart, pouring my heart out to him during a lunch. And he said, Tina, there's nothing to worry about ever. And he just said it in passing. And you know what I did? I went back to my room that day, and I wrote that down. I said, that's going to be my mantra this year because you know why? I was and I still can be one of the biggest worriers in the world. If I think something could happen bad, I start to go down that road, right? And so when I start to say to myself, there's nothing to worry about ever, immediately when I'm worried, it just releases. Remember when I said there's power in words? It releases this peace over my body. And I'm telling you, I taught all of my staff this. In fact, one of them, Debbie, she's the director in our Fort Myers school. She took that on to heart and she still says it to this day because you could see when she starts to get stressed and she's like, oh, but there's nothing to worry about ever and you watch that peace just come over her you say words have power because we we say negative mantras all the time you know oh i'm so bad with names 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 yeah you tell me your name and i have no idea what you just said because i'm so bad with names oh i do it all the time so again mantras a little lesson here for all of us you know mantras are it's it's the positive statement it's the positive self-talk and we all talk to ourselves and so let's make sure that we're very clear on the words that we want to say to ourselves and so that's another one of your mantras there's nothing to worry about ever failure is my friend is Uh. another one of your mantras (laughs) failure is my friend yeah Actually, that one's been huge uh, for me, and it really came from the salon, when the salon failed, the story of when it 
failed many years ago back in 2006 and I started to say to myself failure is my friend failure is my friend and then every time I would fail I would say failure is my friend and immediately it would just give me this release of hey it's okay to fail you know fail forward right and so it also you know what else it did for me when it started to help me to develop a stronger relationship with my staff when they made a mistake and I would say oh Failure is my friend. And they would look at me and they would smile. Like they would have this safety and this trust with me at the time. And so, you know, I still, Debbie, she took that on too. And she's like, but failure is my friend. And you know what? Immediately she goes into a solution mode, you know, and that's exactly what happens. And, you know, it just gives you okay to fail. It is okay. You said you uh, fail forward. Yeah. I, I wish I could give him credit, but I'm blank on his book right now, his name and his book. But he talks about how... Walt Disney was fired by a newspaper editor for not being creative enough. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Michael true. Jordan yep. was cut from his high school basketball team. Yeah. The Beatles were turned down over and over again by record producers because they were told that guitar playing bands were on their way out. Mm-hmm. So did these people fall down or did they fall up? They fall up, right. Like what was it, Abraham Lincoln? He ran for president how many times yeah. and didn't get it, you know, yeah. and he was the best, you know, president in the world, right? And it is. It's all about failing forward. You know, just realize failure is my friend. It's okay to fail. I think so many times we become so shame of ourselves that we fail that we can't fail forward. You Which know? is the second mistake. It's you made a mistake, mistake and now you beat yourself up yeah. over it. There's another mistake. Yeah. Right. Get over yourself. You know, keep hitting those dreams. You're closer than you think. Right. You're closer than you think. And then you have this mantra, don't be obsessed with money or success, rather be obsessed with improvement. Uh, you know, that, that really transpired actually the beginning of last year. My son put that quote on my desk and it literally sat on my desk for three months because it wasn't resonating with me. I just read it. It didn't mean anything to me when, and I just put it aside and I don't even know why I didn't toss it. And it was still sitting on my desk three months later and it had coffee stains on it, had food stains on it. And I thought, what is this? And so I read it again and I'm like, wait a minute. Don't be obsessed with money or success. Rather, be obsessed with improvement. That's exactly what I've been going through for this past three years. I've been obsessed with improvement, and look what's happened. I've become so much more successful, and it's so true. What you focus on grows. And, you know, I asked my son, I said, hey, is this a quote? Where'd you get this quote? And he didn't know where he got it. I said, good, I'm stealing it. When it has become my quote on my website, tinablack.net. It's everywhere I go. It's part of every training that I give. And people love it. It's on the back of our t-shirts for you all of my staff. Yet, so, I haven't uh, been sued yet. I haven't been sued yet. We'll see what happens. So it's yours. It's your, you made it up. I'm honey. taking it's, it's it. yours. And it's true. You know, be obsessed with improvement, you know, because when you do start to work on growth, like develop a growth plan, everyone needs to develop a growth plan. I didn't know this when, you know, honestly, and when I started to develop my own growth plan in all of those areas that I mentioned with balance, professional, physical, intellectual, emotional, spiritual, Mm. you start to develop that growth plan and everything else falls into place. Mm. We have to wrap this up. You're going to get mobbed. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> By the way, trust me, Thank you're you. going to be hit up like crazy because of this interview. Um, final message? Mm. Be amazing. 
you know, be amazing. And you are amazing. So remember that, you know, my book's called Be Amazing. That's coming out this next year. And I, I do hope that you pick that up and, and get to my website, tinablack.net. But listen, the only way to be amazing is to work on yourself. Be obsessed with self-improvement. Join one of my masterminds because it's the giving back. It, money goes back to the Andrew Gomez Dream Foundation when you do join one of our masterminds. And I hope you will do that. But, but more importantly, you know, some of you are listening to this message today and you're thinking, I'm not amazing. You know, shift that voice and say, I am amazing. I do that with my husband, you know, when he starts to get down on himself and he literally will run on the sidewalk and say, I'm amazing. I'm amazing. <laughs> he just did that the other day and it works. And I'm telling you, it works. And so, you know, you are amazing. Remember that. Hmm. Wow. I love you so much. <laughs> I love you too, Wynn. Thank you. You made me Thank very, you for this. very emotional through this. Thank you. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. <sighs> Thanks, everybody, for listening. Love you too. I love you, Wynn.